Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast. Your favorite podcast where Tim and I watch everything streaming has to offer to find the gems for you to watch tonight. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by the aforementioned Tim. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Two in a row. Well, yeah. I mean, we did the live thing last week. Oh, Oh, wait, no. Wait, we had that previously recorded episode. Yeah, we did Janetville. Janetville came out. (laughs) <laughs> that was a long time ago. Because we didn't record it last week, yeah. it didn't necessarily feel like a real episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. This is so really this is kind of like I mean the live shows really feel like a recording. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. I mean that just gives us a chance to like throw a lot of stuff out there. And we did. We covered a bunch oh, of stuff. So much stuff. And it felt good. I just yeah. my favorite part is people joining it and giving that feedback. Yeah, we had a bunch of people stop by. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, our most ever, like a solid like nine at one point. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Was cool. I was really happy about that. Yeah, I was man. really happy about that. Small victories. Yeah. All right, so this week is a rewind. So talking about throwing a lot of stuff at you, here comes some more. Because yeah. we're going to try to touch on quite a few things. Yeah, a couple of these things were things that we could have talked about on the live show, but thought maybe they, they deserved a little bit more. As I'm doing this little thing with my hand. Yeah, then no um, one can see. Yeah, a, a right. little bit uh, more um, than we wanted to give it in that. Um, so yeah, let's let, let's let's jump into it. So um, one of the things that I kind of hipped you to just honestly for based on a discussion you and I had like a, a while, a while, while ago. Well, um, this is an ongoing thought in my mind in this yes. in that I know that you have a, a deep love of this group yes and so i am constantly positing questions to you and (laughs) saying things like i don't get it why is this still such a thing yeah and so that that group being the beatles which is like my first musical love like Mm. i remember second grade my mom had a tape that tape went in the stereo in the minivan and that was it. Like, that was the end. Like, it went from there. And that was pretty much all I listened to for the longest time. Um, until... And see, when it comes to the Beatles, I had a similar experience. Yeah. If someone put the tape on in the car, that would be the end. I would be asleep in seconds. <laughs> and when I awoke, I would throw that tape out the window. So, I mean, you're not alone. Um there's a lot of people that, that that wonder that, but you like you said, you can't deny this though, right? Like it's it's continued. People they're they're introduced to a new generation, whether that's through, um, you know, in the '90s when they did their little reunion thing and the anthology videos came out over Thanksgiving, um, or then the 2000s they released that that number one singles collection and that kind of like vaulted them back up into the the. The, the atmosphere um they're covered by so many artists so many artists today cite them for so many things um but i can't answer that question for you i i just i can't tell you why like i, I for me they it always sounds fresh it always sounds new it doesn't sound like oldies like when i put on an oldies album it sounds like it's from the 50s or it sounds like it's from the 60s mm. and when i play their music it just does it sounds timeless not of a time if that makes sense oh no see that is interesting so i think you know and, and this isn't i promise we're getting to something related to yeah. movies and television yeah. and this isn't a music podcast but <laughs> this all kind of started because to be honest like i've just never here's the thing i understand why the beatles were what they were in their day mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no there is no arguing and I'm not being ridiculous. Right. Like there's no arguing that their talent. There's Mm -hmm. no arguing that they were ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. There's no arguing that they defined rock and roll. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's akin to like a big bang. Right. They came along at a time where rock and roll was sort of at a crossroads. Like it was, you know, they they catalyzed a lot of what was going on in America. and, And sure written and things like that and there's but my my whole thought has just always been i I mean out the gate their music's just not for me but i've never understood the staying power because i just don't think that the catalog on the whole Mm -hmm. would resonate with such with new and younger listeners 
Yeah. And so this is the conversation that has spurred many a conversation and and a, and a and a you know kind of like hey keep your eyes open for this new thing coming out and that yeah. happened like we talked about the Peter Jackson stuff that's getting ready to drop in, in mm-hmm. not too long and yep. uh, and so on and so forth but you reached out to me to watch yeah. something that might have you thought maybe might help make sense of things yeah i there was part of me that was that and then another part um as after i watched the first episode i was like oh, i have to talk about this so i at least wanted you to get a feel for for what i was looking at um but there's a um a documentary on hulu right now called mccartney 321 and mm. um paul mccartney sits down with rick rubin and if you don't know who rick rubin is he's pretty much been uh, he's like the godfather of of hip-hop he's been a part of every major hip-hop album um record labels um you if you don't know him um you might recognize him he's a very distinct looking guy with a huge beard and long hair and um and he's done it has, all with no shoes yeah like, absolutely never wear <laughs> shoes <laughs> but he was involved with def jam um you know all of that he's won a ton of grammy awards um but if you look at his um you know, his album, his discography over the years, it's like, it has its own Wikipedia page for the eighties, nineties and two thousands. Um, I mean, he's worked with everyone that you could probably want him to have worked with. So you're familiar with his work, whether it's chili peppers or Tom Petty or Sir Mix-a-Lot, <laughs> like there's a ton and that's just, you know, LL Cool J run DMC. There's a bunch of people that he's worked with and he's also a huge fan of the Beatles. So mm. what they did was, it's just him and Paul McCartney sitting in a studio. It's black and white. And it's literally two guys just having a conversation. Rick Rubin throws some questions at him as if he, as a fan, right? And as, mm-hmm. as a music producer, but mainly as a fan. And they're in front of a mixer. And Rick's got what I believe is mismasking tape, right? That he throws down on the mixer. They throw in the track and then they mess with the faders for each track and they pull out the vocals and they bump the bass or they kind of mix around with stuff and they just let that facilitate the conversation. So, you know, Rick says, what do you remember about this? What do you remember about recording this? Why did you guys make this choice? But also making his own observations about like, you know, this is, you know, this baseline doesn't go with this lead guitar. Like what was this? And, you know, this is a very modern sounding thing. He's like, I would encourage people to do that today. Um, so I was just enthralled, you know, I've seen so much of the, you know, this is the story of the Beatles in, you know, since I've been listening to them when I was in second grade, Mm -hmm. that I don't need that. I know that, right? I I don't need another origin story. You know, that's been beaten to death for me. So this is a, this is like, you know, like a 300 level course (laughs) or or higher. Well, and you know what? And I'll say too, it's interesting for that very reason as someone who isn't as familiar because I've just never really cared all that much about the Beatles or how they got started. But there is background story and like when you find out about how they grew up, how they met when they Mm -hmm. got together. But what's interesting is it all points back to the context of of why and how that background or that specific interaction or that specific whatever influenced the specific track they're talking yeah. about like yep. it gets so meta but yet also there's enough surface level stuff on there for the casual sort of person who's curious about the beatles to come mm-hmm. in and get you know get fed a little bit right yeah and, and it yep. kind of scratches that itch but at the same time there's enough depth to it and like in terms of how uh the focus on the music and not just the music the songs but how it was made yeah. and yeah and and if you're at all interested too in just hearing that number one if you're a music lover i think y- there's enough there for you um yeah. if you're just kind of a behind the scenes lover and maybe not really know a ton about music there's a lot there for you as well without you feeling lost, right? Mm-hmm. And not understanding mm-hmm. what they're talking about. The thing that I took away from it the most is how the documentary actually serves and can serve such a wide audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I was, was enthralled by it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that is the thing that struck me the most is that it's showing me something new. Somebody who was like, you know, my my rabid fandom is is not what it was, right? Because I, I've sort of run that course. That's not to say I, you know, I, I don't. I'm still not a mega fan, but like, you know, even my wife will point out, she's like, you know, you don't listen to them that much. And I was like, mm. I don't need to, right? Like it's part of me, right? Like <laughs> it's in my soul. Yeah. Right. Like you don't watch, you know, the dark night every day. Right. But it's there pretty close. No, pretty close. I watch it but, in my dreams too. There you go. Um, but you know, it's just, it, it was just for as simple as it was, it was really, fascinating and really light and really entertaining and they're short right they're short episodes there's six yeah. of them and i felt like i put it on the afternoon you know three four o'clock when the day was kind of dragging and it just kind of pepped me up a little bit and it just showed me things that i never noticed or maybe highlighted things that i've always thought in the back of my head and then have somebody kind of walk you through that like yeah the baseline and while my guitar gently weeps it is a heavy baseline, but the song is so light and, and, and airy. And so to have them kind of de- deconstruct that and, and have them be like, you know, what is going on here? I'm like, yeah, I've always sort of wondered that. And, you know, you're asking the questions that I've always had. But at the end of the day, it was just a super fun thing to do. And in some regards, sort of was kind of like sitting with your grandpa and having him tell you stories about back in the day. That's very mm. much what it was like with Paul McCartney kind of going at it. Um, but also it's a very humbling thing too. You know, he's just a guy who's playing music and he's, you know, like you said, there's, there's reasons why they did what they did. They were competing with the beach boys or they heard the beach boys or they heard Dylan. And then they're like, Oh, we got to do one better. Or, you know, this was happening. And so we just did this, or this was the limitation of this technology. So we had to do it this way. Just super fascinating and very different than any other documentary I've seen. You know, it's very easy to sit down with a legendary artist or director or something and just be like, tell me your story. And rather, you know, I I, I would like to see more of this, right? Like I would love to see Dylan do this or, you know, Spielberg, sit down with Spielberg and have him show you, you know, have somebody show him clips that they appreciate and be like, what did you do here? What was the idea behind this? How did you bring this together? You know what I mean? Mm. I think this is a really fascinating concept. And if it's your thing, to be able to sit there and just listen to them talk you through their thought process is really illuminating. So really that's what I wanted to say about it. And, and if you want to check it out, check it out, watch an episode, watch two, whatever. Um, I, it's just a, a really fascinating look into an artist with somebody who is got the pulse of, you know, music, um, the, you know, is producing music up through the current um, times. They've, he's got it. Uh, he's producing an Imagine Dragons album that they came out in 21 and Rick Rubin, but he's been working in the music industry as a producer since the eighties. You know, so somebody that knows modern music and is enthralled with the Beatles and, and has obviously got his pulse on, on the, the modern music scene. It's just really cool. Um, now, does it answer your questions? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know how to answer those questions. No, but you know what it does is, like I said, I, I think it really paints an interesting picture and a fascinating one. And I think it shows how it is that they were what they were. I love that it throws you in. It drops you right in. They just yep. start deconstructing songs. That's the focus. That's the thread, right? Yes. You, yep. You're a fly on the wall watching these two men have a conversation about specific parts of a song. But that conversation leads and lends itself and weaves through a, yeah. a, a sub narrative of the times, of the culture, of yep. of the industry. Like as you said, limitations, but also pushing those boundaries. And it's super and organic. It's very organic, and in yep. that organic storytelling, lends itself to giving you insights into who they were, where they mm-hmm. came from, and how they worked together and didn't, and and whatever. Yep. You know, you know, it's it's vanilla if you're looking for something like that really gets in there and is like, why yeah. did you hate it? Why did you? And th- that's not what this is. But I think that's what makes it so successful and what makes it so good. You know, I'm I'm a little and and again, this is coming from somebody like when I see Paul McCartney singing or doing something I'm like why you yeah. sound 
awful. Yeah. You look like let's just move on from this. And yeah. uh, but I was I was riveted by this docu series, and I think uh-huh. that speaks volumes for it, it as a whole. So if you're a fan of docu series and well made docu series, um, check this out. Even if you don't dig the Beatles, or even if you uh-huh. wouldn't even call yourself a music person, I'm not yeah. either of those things. I'm not a Beatles fan, and I'm not a music guy. But I really, really enjoyed this. And and yeah. if you are those things, you're going to really, really enjoy this. Um, it, it's it's really, as you said, it's one of the better made things that I've seen in a while. It was mm-hmm. it was captivating. So highly recommend. It's on Hulu. It's called McCartney 321. Yep. Um, yeah. And so then switching gears to some, some more normal fare. Yeah, let's get into my stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, this is exciting. You you kind of sprung this. Um, you just kind of sort of like, hey, I watched this the other night. Yeah, and it's something that I was I, I was sort of almost going to pull the trigger on. I'm going to wait a little while longer, but this is right up my alley. So your your thoughts on this is really encouraging to me. Yeah. So I'm going to keep this real brief because I yeah. don't want to do any spoilers. Um, Jungle Cruise. Uh, yeah. Just dropped on Disney Plus with Emily Blunt and The Rock, uh, mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson, and uh, Jack Whitehall, who's one of, he's someone I really enjoy. I, I mm-hmm. get a kick out of him. He's a British comedian and actor, and he is he is crazy. Um, <laughs> and so it's based on the Disney ride. And, uh, you know, this just dropped and we were on the fence. It's still premiere access on Disney Plus, which means you've got to pay the $29.99 to watch it. And as mm-hmm. we all know, I have been adamant about I will not pay the crazy prices to rent it. Yep. But yep. I think Disney Plus has an interesting model because you're not necessarily paying to rent it. You're paying and you keep it. Un- for forever. I mean, as long as you have a Disney Plus subscription, because yeah. eventually it will become available to everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, with a subscription. But you can watch it every single day, multiple times a day, from the minute you pay until the minute it's available for everybody. Yeah. So you know, I've, that's a different model. Um, what did I think? And is it worth the thirty dollars? Which is basically <laughs> what I wanted to kind of touch on. Yeah, I, I, that's I think really where. I'm interested to see your thoughts because I think Disney's been hit or miss on these ride influenced movies, right? Pirates. The only one was, was Pirates. That was yeah. awesome. Um, you know, Haunted Mansion with wow. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I'll watch it around Halloween. I think it's a cute movie and I love that ride. They're going to do another one coming up mm-hmm. um, that might be a little darker. Um, there was another one or two that I can't remember off the top of my head. They're just kind of like, eh. Right. It, it just it just doesn't it doesn't work, and then there's a whole argument about what that does to the property, right? Now, do you put the rock in the ride like you did with Johnny Depp? Who knows? But that's besides the point. Yeah, and so I think that to answer the questions, number one, what did I think? I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. It was light. There were plenty of times. Where my wife and so we did it because we wanted to have a family movie night with my son. We put the mm-hmm. baby to bed and we just wanted to do something special with our boy because you know, as as tends to happen, and especially when there's such an age difference, right? My son is eight, my daughter's about yeah. to be two. Yep. You know, you are so focused on the baby, not that you want to be necessarily, but you have no choice, right? She mm-hmm. can do nothing but find ways to die. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you need that quality time. So we want to do something cute and fun together. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Let's just drop the 30 bucks because, you know, it's like this or Black Widow and we know he can watch this. Mm-hmm. And it hit the marks, man. Gabriel, my son... Loved it. He thought it was a blast. And he hasn't seen Pirates yet or anything mm. like that. And that'll I'll speak to that in just a second. Sure. But there was plenty of times throughout the movie where my wife and I both were laughing, chuckling, and it was just a good time. Um, is it a great movie? No. Like, not by a long shot. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean is the far superior movie, and they're almost effectively the same movie. Right? Interesting. There's a... There is a curse, there's immortals, there's this and there's that. And like many of it looks the same, but I would say it is a less dark, less intense Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so therefore 
much more appealing and, and appropriate for younger mm-hmm. audiences. Um, yeah. You know, I would probably even let Gracie watch it and not be worried too much. Not mm. to necessarily let her watch it, but like if Gabriel wanted to watch it and Gracie's running around the background, I wouldn't necessarily have yeah. a problem with that. Um, you yeah. know, there's a lot of things about it that get repetitive and and, and whatnot. And, and, and that's fine. And we can have those conversations at another date. But it doesn't necessarily take away from the enjoyment and the general fun and the levity. And you constantly kind of have a smile on your face. And it's just, it's a fun watch. Is it worth the $30? Um, Maybe. And I say that to say, like, as I said, to me, it was worth it to pay 30 yeah. bucks. My wife and me and the kid, and we just hung out, ate some snacks, and had a great night. Um, if you've got young kids and you want to show them something in the vein of Pirates of the Caribbean, but mm-hmm. more appropriate, I-, I think it's worth it. You know, I don't think you'll be that upset about it. Um, if you're a Disney lover and and think this one might be worth the 30 bucks but maybe don't have the kids or all that to necessarily justify it. I think you would be disappointed and therefore I would not recommend. Like this is certainly one that if you have no real reason to rent it for 30 bucks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can definitely wait until it's available for everybody. So I'm going to, I'm going to say your description of the movie is a lot like how I feel about the ride itself. Interesting. Whereas if it's got a super long line, I'm not going to wait in line for it. I mm. know what I'm getting with the Jungle Cruise, right? Especially if you're doing a a, a, a multi-park visit and, you know, you are just been at Animal Kingdom and went on the real safari or you're going to Animal Kingdom and doing the real safari tomorrow. What's the point in going on Jungle Cruise where you're going to see a bunch of animated, you know, animatronic animals doing their thing when you can see the live thing tomorrow, right? Right. But if... There's no line, and I'm between things. I'm going to hop on and enjoy myself, and I'll do it with a smile because it's silly, and the jokes are corny, and that's the whole shtick of the ride, right? And that the is the shtick of the movie. So it's really it's, – I would describe the ride much like that. And what's really interesting about that is to sort of coincide with this, Disney Plus actually just put out a new series called Behind the Attraction. Yes. Um, and it's a lot like uh, another show you and I have talked about, which was the prop culture show um, mm-hmm. back last fall. Um, and even a lot like uh, movies that made us on Netflix, right? It's it's a behind the scenes, like, how did they make this ride? What was the inspiration for it? What were the things that they had to struggle with? Was it lasting impact? Um, and the series opens with the Jungle Cruise, sort of in tandem with, you know, made to kind of as a promo for, for this uh, movie and, and sure. Dwayne Johnson shows up in it a little bit. He talks about you know, his experience with the Disney parks and the jungle cruise and things like that. And it was actually really fascinating to learn the history of the ride and how it was an intent. It was intended to be like an educational thing at first, but then as the years went on, they developed this, this humor thing. And um, it's been in the news a lot right now too, because Disney has been working on the image of it. Disney has been working on their image of a couple of their rides for, you know, that have maybe um, not so um, polite portrayals of native peoples or mm. cultures and things like that. And the Jungle Cruise just got a big redo for some of its native depictions. So, right. um, you know, if you have Disney Plus and you're interested in these type of things, definitely check this out. Maybe before or after you watch this movie. I thought it was fascinating. There's five other episodes that cover Haunted Mansion, uh, Space Mountain uh star tours and the new uh star wars lands um and there are a couple more uh tower of terror um but yeah on the heels of jungle cruise i think it was super fascinating to learn where it all comes from so you can kind of do a double feature on that watch the 45 minute behind the attraction and then check out the movie i can't wait to watch it i'm even more excited now to to check it out i think it's going to be i think it'll be a fun movie yeah it is fun and i do recommend it um i i just would only recommend paying the 30 if you're going to enjoy it with kids who are going to get a real big kick out of it right now otherwise just wait but it's still worth the time yeah yeah all right so let's see if we can do this in three minutes or less the last quick (laughs) hitter of the episode before we jump into a bit of the meat and potatoes here and uh 
That is Amazon Prime's original, uh, The Tomorrow War, starring yeah. Chris Pratt. Um, and uh, Yvonne Strahovski's in it. Um, anyways, there's, there's a lot of people in it. But uh, we're not spending too, too much time on that element, as much as to say that uh, I don't think we've ever gotten so many messages about a movie in the time that... well. It, Ever in my time of doing a podcast, yeah. and certainly in our two two seasons of doing this one, um, yeah. so many people were hitting me up asking if we had seen it, what we thought of it, and mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Now this was a fairly anticipated movie from Amazon. Um, yeah. I think this, and along with Without Remorse, I think Without Remorse really like you know clouded the. Uh, you know the the anticipation uh, <laughs> window there for Amazon because so many people were looking forward to that one. Um, the, this one kind of fell through the cracks, and I was actually kind of surprised the first time I stumbled on an ad for it in Amazon. I was like, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, I think the first thing I saw about it was some kind of promo thing that that Chris Pratt was doing, talking about you know, yeah. oh, we were because they they filmed it during covid right or right before yeah that sounds about right and, and i feel like he was like you know we were able to do this big blockbuster action movie for amazon yeah. blockbuster is a strong word yeah in the light of covid i feel is like what he said but i could be wrong about that yeah so what did uh, so tim first of all did you see this one yeah i watched it um after you said you you know you you had said you watched it i had danced around it um and kind of the two weeks while you were gone, I was just kind of throwing on some 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 of everything. So I did I did throw this on. Um, I, I I'm having I don't want to say I'm struggling or have struggled with this one. It's it's a weird it's a, movie. Yeah, on first watch, there's a lot of groaner moments in it. You're just like, ugh, and. It's a time hop movie, right? And we've talked about time hop movies before and how if you pick and pull at the threads a little too much, things fall apart. And this movie sort of does that to itself. And some of those time hopping elements are hard to swallow. And to top it all off, it just keeps going, right? This movie has yeah. the, the beat of like, oh, it's over. Oh, no, it's not. It's over. Oh, it's really not over, right? Like, it just keeps going like the Energizer Bunny of movies. But I keep coming back to it in my head to the point where I've been like, oh, I could watch it again, but I really don't want to. <laughs> yeah, so you know what's interesting? It is it is so, it is so many things. I, I would say, so how can, I, how can I say this simply? It's a bad movie, but yet you like it. It's, yeah. it's poorly so it's almost it's almost very self-aware so the biggest names in this chris pratt uh yvonne strahovski which some people maybe wouldn't necessarily say is a big name but mm -hmm. I, I think she's really come in you know with handmaid's tale but before that she was on chuck and mm -hmm. she was in dexter for a little while like she's done a lot of stuff um yep. But maybe not, certainly not on the level of Chris Pratt in terms of like big time blockbusters. Uh, Betty yep. Gilpin, you know, she's done some, I think she was on Nurse Jackie. She's recently been in Glow. She just did that mm -hmm. movie, The Hunt, but nothing super major. J.K. Simmons is probably the biggest name in this. Um, yep. And then you've got Sam Richardson. Um, Which is hilarious because he plays almost the same character as he does in Veep, just maybe slightly less neurotic. Right. So uh, Mary Lynn as well is a character actor you would totally recognize when you see her. Um, what's interesting is I was surprised at how badly acted it was. Um, you know, in terms of like Chris Pratt just came off. It felt very forced and out of practice and just not really developed. Like he, it was like, it was like, watching star lord try to act dramatically as yeah. opposed to watching chris pratt play this role yeah um you know but the movie as i said it kind of is is aware of itself in the sense that every time i would think something they would kind of address it so like one yeah. thing for example when the soldiers come from the future they're mm -hmm. all like these skinny 
like nobodies and i'm like mm-hmm. really like the general of this army isn't you know like some badass actor or whatever you know yeah. it's like these little kids like little boys and girls and then all of a sudden like sam richardson you know there's a revelation that they come to and not trying to do spoilers but they realize like oh there's a reason why the the army is kind of younger and things yeah. like that so i'm like oh all right well I mean, I guess that's an answer. Like in my in my heart, like you kind of want like a big bad tough to like kind of yeah. take your characters through this war. Yeah. But then at the same time, you're like, but I can appreciate that rationale. Um, you know, and I think you know the CGI is is bad, but mm-hmm. it's it's not like unwatchable, and you find yourself curious. You're curious about what's going to happen. You're yeah. curious about how it's going to end. And in the end, there's stuff that happens and you're just like, why is this a big deal? You know, like, yeah. yep. you know, yeah, if this person dies, but if you save the world, then you're going to just reset that timeline. So not a huge deal. You know what I mean? Like, there's things like that. Um, yeah. Other criticisms too. Sam Richardson is brilliant in it. He's in it for about sixteen seconds, and then <laughs> and then that's it. Like I would have enjoyed seeing more of him. He's a scientist, and and you know why wouldn't you keep him with your other scientists and kind of trying to figure out this problem together? Yeah. You know, yeah. So there's stuff in there that just doesn't really make sense, and having that comedic sort of. Uh, uh, break from time to time would have been mm-hmm. would have been fun, um, yep. but yeah, it's like you said, it, it's it's a bad movie, but somehow watchable and yeah. dare I say enjoyable. Yeah, it, it, the best way I can describe it is like you know something where you're like you start eating it and you're like oh, I really don't like this, then you have another bite and you're like ah, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like. Ah, this is not bad. But you know what I think? I think that is a great analogy because what this is, is in terms of pandemic movies, I think that's why we feel this way about it. Mm -hmm. You want cake, but there's no cake. And the only thing that you have in the, in the pantry is graham crackers. Like you want like a killer, like chocolate ganache with, with ice cream on the side. You want a hot Krispy Kreme donut. There's something that you want. Yeah. And you open up the fridge and all you've got is like stale graham crackers. Plain graham crackers. Yeah. From like the last time you were in the hospital, like six years ago and you look at it and you're like, oh, but you need something sweet. And so you eat that and it's awful. But yeah. because you have nothing else, it does just enough. That that little dip of honey that yeah. they that they put in the yeah. batter there, yeah. Yeah. it does just enough to sort of say, all right, it kind of tickles the sweet tooth, and then you can go to bed that night. Yeah, it's just it ultimately has a weird vibe. <laughs> this to the movie's whole thing. a graham cracker. Yeah, it just it just ha- it just feels strange. A lot of it, uh, there's, we could really get into specifics about, you know, the way that people are drafted into this war and things like that. But also, there's this odd, too soon feeling to it as well, like in a world that is dealing with a crisis on a global level. Oh, interesting. There's just also this like you know there are riots because people don't want to participate in this future war and you know there it just feels a little close to home at the same time mm-hmm. um and again if we picked at the some of the time travel elements but again like i said at the end of the movie i was kind of like i could watch it again i could i could do it again but i probably never will uh, it, it is what it is it, it, it's not a great monster movie. It's not a great action movie. It really just is kind of that bland stale graham cracker. That, so I'm hearing like you're not mad you saw it, but you probably wouldn't see it again. Yeah, I think I think that's where I end up. I did the, watch it a second time, and it yeah. and I had it on in the background while I was doing other things. There were key moments where I kind of wanted to see again, and yeah. then but for the most part, I kind of could sort of check in and out and just never felt like I missed anything. Like I, yeah. you know, and that's the point is like, you never feel like you have to pay full attention, but it, 
it does what it says it's gonna do. There are aliens, there are guns, things die and blow up. And if and if you're you know, if you're just looking for that and you are just content starved during this whole thing, like while you wait for Dune to drop or the Suicide Squad or anything else, like yeah. you know, you won't be mad at the at the two hours or whatever that you invest in this when there is literally like no more episodes of The Office that you want to rewatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think since we've we've kind of hopped around in time through that one, I, I think we're gonna we'll shift gears here completely, mm. um, and we'll talk about another Alien movie. <laughs> yes. So I have been so excited for this. I've been so yeah. excited to talk about it. Um, in preparation for it, Tim and I have you know poured through the original, um, yeah. you know the 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 uh, the part one. Of this, yeah. let's say, and that is a quiet place part two. Mm-hmm. So I want to focus the conversation on that because that yep. is the most recent release. Yeah, a quiet place part two was originally supposed to drop in March of 2020. It was literally about to hit theaters. I mean, like Emily Blunt was doing press, and I think there was one point she was on the James Corden show, and right before going out, she like found out it was going to get pushed. Oh my god! And and basically was like here to promote this movie, but we're literally just finding out that we're bumping it. Um, so because of the pandemic, uh, they pushed the movie a little bit, a little bit, and eventually like by a full year. So it mm-hmm. it came out um, in uh, the summer of twenty of twenty twenty one, very recently uh, in theaters for a bit, and then it dropped on Paramount Plus for free and is yep. available now to stream along with its predecessor a quiet place via paramount plus you can sign up for a seven day subscription um it, like a seven day free trial and you yep. can watch it and then cancel it whatever it is you want to do um you uh, and correct me you straight up bought it right i did, did you, yeah because it. i loved what's funny is i signed up for paramount plus and i bought it um <laughs> <laughs> so uh but the you know because I think Paramount Plus announced what they're doing. Unlike HBO Max, it's not day and date; um, mm-hmm. it's theatrical release, and then forty-five days later, it hits Paramount Plus for subscribers. Mm-hmm. So, like mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick is going to go to theaters, and then forty-five days later, boom, it's going to hit Paramount Plus. Sure. Um, so, I I was really looking forward to this movie, even though in my heart of hearts. I knew it wouldn't live up to my expectations sure. because when I saw A Quiet Place, I was blown away on so many levels. Yeah. And that- this one just, this one fell short for me. Yeah, that's, I hadn't, I, I, it's one of those ones that I knew was out there. Um, you know, it's sort of, it hit around the same times, right? There was Quiet Place and then Netflix did their Bird Box one, right? Which was sort right. of like the don't look at the monsters or whatever the heck that was about. Um, and I knew everybody really loved it, um, but it just, it was just not, it was never on my radar to be like, oh, I should watch this, right? So, um, you know, you had mentioned part two and I knew part two was coming out. So I did go back and watch part one for the first time. Um, you know, probably for me suffers a little bit from the, you know, the Napoleon dynamite complex of like, everybody says this is so freaking good, but it took me so long to see it that I'm like, okay, well, it's all, all pretty much been spoiled for me. Right. Like I've Mm. seen parody of it. I've seen, you know, SNL did a huge parody of it or whatnot. Um, so I saw these two pretty close to, to each other. Um, so I did not have the love affair that you had with the first one. And I think part of, you know, I, so I have no expectations between the two. Um, and being a part one and a part two and seeing them so close together for myself was a really interesting exercise, right? I think I've seen, you know, part kill bill, right? Part one, part two, mm-hmm. um, feel like very different movies, you know, stylistically and story-wise, and, and they're not really much the same. This movie might as well be part two, right? A continuation. Like, if oh, you sure. watched this straight through, there's not a lot of change. And, and that was one of the things that you and I talked to off the bat. You're like, yeah, it just feels so much like the first movie. And I was like, but it has to, 
right? Because it picks up seconds <laughs> after the first movie ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have the the the, the same expectations set for this that you did so and it's funny because you know i wasn't necessarily upset that it i wouldn't have been upset if it Mm -hmm. felt like the first movie in fact that's my biggest criticism is that it didn't and and i mean that in like kind of the most basic terms so you know i think we can't necessarily have this conversation without some spoilers but we're gonna do our best we try not to do spoilers in the rewinds um but in a quiet place, a quiet place part one has a soul and a heart to it that is honestly totally lacking in this movie, and that isn't to say that the soul and the heart is John Krasinski, <laughs> but it is. It is kind of what this family, the Abbott family, sort of represents. In a lot of interviews, John Krasinski talks about how when he set out to write and direct these movies, you know, he had never done a horror before. And in fact, mm-hmm. growing up, he wasn't a fan of horror movies. And and so he was really challenged with how is he going to approach this successfully? And mm-hmm. And he was called back to a conversation that he had when he was filming The Office. And, um, you know, he was sitting there and he was thinking of, you know, the scene and and kind of in his thought or whatever. And somebody comes up to him. You know, I can't remember whoever was directing that episode or if it was the creator, the showrunner, whatever. But somebody comes up to him and is like, hey, man, what's going on? And he says, I'm really sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to play this funny. Like, how am I going to come at this funny? And was immediately told that is the wrong approach. I want you to come at this honest and let the audience decide if it's funny. And he remembered that and he came to this with that mentality. I'm not setting out to make a horror movie per se. I am going to make an honest film about family, love, all this. I'm going to make you fall in love with this family. And then... Just put them in a situation. And because you're going to be so invested in this family story that when things start to happen, it's going to bring the fear in. It's going to, in on its own, it builds that tension. You feel uh, invested and therefore you feel the weight of everything mm-hmm. that's happening because you are deeply rooting for these characters. And that was the brilliance that went into... A quiet place because you feel every bit of that like yeah. you, you feel Krasinski's love letter to his kids Emily Blunt and he obviously have on-screen chemistry as yeah. a married couple but like I mean you are just you are invested and, and again mm-hmm. I'm trying not to give out too many spoilers um, but then in the sequel you lose a lot of that and, mm-hmm. and instead, what you really get is just more of a focus on the world and the alien situation. You know, I just didn't feel the same. I didn't feel it, it, what was weird is I just didn't feel invested in the same family the second time around. It yeah. focused much more on the world building, um, you know, and, and kind of all this other stuff that, frankly, just it hit flat for me because Mm -hmm. then you really notice when you watch the first one, I've said it all the time. Someone's like, dude, what do you think of a quiet place? I'm like, look, man, if you go into it expecting a horror movie, you're going to hate it. It's a, it's not a horror. It's not scary. It's not a horror movie, but it's an awesome movie. That was the, that I, you hit me with that earlier today. And I was like, Oh, you're right. It's not. I think your, your exact question was, what is this movie about? Like, what is the story? The story's not the aliens, right? It's not the alien invasion. It's not the family surviving the aliens. It's a family story. It's a family drama, right? This it's a story the- about loss and yes. and coming to terms with that blame and feeling, uh, you know, feeling responsibility and and, and the assumptions that we make about people mm-hmm. and loved ones and just it's those things. It just happens to take place during yep. an alien invasion. Yeah, you can substitute a lot, right? The 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 loss of their youngest child indirectly or directly or incidentally caused by their their oldest daughter, right? You know, just her actions 
um, the, 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 the terror that their middle son feels at the, you know, at the thing responsible for killing his younger brother, right? Mm-hmm. Substitute anything, you know, a car accident, you know, it's PTSD, right? Is what, the, right. what, what he, what he's suffering from, you know, the family dealing with that, the, the father and the mother pregnant again, and what that means for their family. That is the story in and of itself and how of that the first comes one. about of the yeah, first one. Of yeah. the first one. Um, and if a lot of this sounds familiar, I, this is a lot of the way we felt about the John Wick trilogy, right? Mm. There's so much heart in that first movie. And once you realize what the movie is about, right, that this man coping with the death of his wife and all of that, you you don't necessarily care about the mechanisms for everything else, right? We don't really care about how the aliens got, or the monsters got here, right? We don't care about, you know, where they got all the sand to, to make these paths through their town um, or, you know, why the electricity, where do they get this electricity from? Or, you know, all of these questions that in a, in a sci-fi movie or a monster movie you're, you're plaguing yourself with, it doesn't matter. We're dropped into this story and, we're supposed to care about the family and that's supposed to distract us from everything else. And it does a wonderful job at that. And that is a killer point in the first one. There are so many, you can watch it. And we, so we try to watch every movie twice because you watch it one time and you just let it hit you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that gives you your score that for me, it makes up a big chunk of the score of a movie of the rating that I give it, because it's like, look at the end of the day, did I like it? Did it make yeah. me feel good? Right. And so, so that's your first one. The second one is when you're trying to have an intelligent conversation and preparing yourself for conversations with people who watch everything critically. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when you watch a quiet place, part one critically, there's a lot of glaring holes, but yeah. it is a massive testament to the screenwriting, to the acting where you forgive and forget all of that because you're so rooted in mm-hmm. the narrative of this family. Fast forward to what we're really trying to compare this to, which is A Quiet Place Part 2. And this is where, for me, A Quiet Place Part 2 fails. Yeah. There is no weight or gravitas in any point. When you watch A Quiet Place Part 1, even forgiving all the the holes, there is... There's no, and one of the things that makes the movie so amazing, there's hardly any dialogue and there's hardly any sound, right? Yeah. And, and so therefore, when someone speaks, it, is, it almost is as frightening as when a monster or an alien comes tearing through because you're Absolutely. like- Absolutely. Right? Someone is like, it's, you've been listening to silence for an hour and then all of a sudden someone says a word and you're like, oh my God, no, right? Tell me, tell me the scene where, um, where- um, where John Krasinski and the middle son, I, now I forget their names. Um, oh, they, they really don't say their names because it's so quiet, right? Um, but I'll say, so Lee, the father, um, and Marcus, who's the, the middle son, right? Um, they go to the river, right? And tell me that that river is not the loudest thing that you have ever heard right? right that movie is so quiet and suddenly you're next to a rushing river and you're like it's so loud um and to prove his point lee takes marcus up behind the waterfall and just yells right he gives out a and marcus jumps and even watching it a second time i jumped i was like ah like because that's the loudest noise to date in that movie and it freaked me out he sounds he soundproofs a room in preparation for his wife having a baby there's a scene where lee uh john krasinski as lee speaks to emily blunt as his wife evelyn and he's when he speaks to her she her face she is shocked she's terrified all at once but then also is just like you really sense that she hasn't heard his voice Uh but a few times in the course of these last you know 470 odd days and and there is so much weight to that and so much power in that a quiet place too i felt like people were literally talking the whole time 
Mm-hmm. In A Quiet Place 1, you have scenes where somebody will scream. Aliens are on the scene in seconds. Yep. In A Quiet Place 2, people can scream, and you've got a smooth 20 minutes before there's a problem. Yeah, the picture frame drops in the first one, and that alien is there in a heartbeat. Right. <laughs> like, right. that is not true in the second one. No, and and so, so that loses steam. Additionally, what's brilliant, same with John Wick, where it's just this... How, this you know encapsulated moment of glory uh, in the first one, same as here, right? In a quiet place, it ends in such a way that we know how it ends, right? Yeah. She has, they have discovered something, and and we can take that small bit of information and extrapolate it out, and kind mm-hmm. of say, now that you have this, here's how things play out. When I was watching a quiet place too, I was like, yeah, I, I know mm-hmm. this yeah. is. I know this already, right? Yep. And and you know the characters, uh, the introduction of Cillian Murphy as Emmett, it's fine, but it's also unnecessary. I would have much rather they invested the time in a Quiet Place Part Two, make it a two movie franchise, mm-hmm. and give me if you want to give me anything, give me a prequel, right? Mm-hmm. Show me the events from day one until day four seventy two. I think it is where we start off in a Quiet Place Two. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry, in A Quiet Place 1. So give me the events of, like, okay, these aliens have come, which is how A Quiet Place 2 starts. It opens up Mm -hmm. on day one when the aliens Mm -hmm. arrive, which I think is a great scene and an awesome sequence. Yeah. And and I felt, you know, I felt every, because, again, I'm watching this family. So watching, uh, it's in the trailer, watching Emily Blunt driving through that small town. And then the bus is coming up. And she's, I mean, the sequences were brilliant. Yeah. But then take me from there and show me, you know, how you built this, you know, uh, safe haven of a home, how you yeah. found out the things you did find out. Because, frankly, I don't need to see where you go because I can already figure that out. Yeah, Once you talking- find a weakness, I can say, great, that's how you kill yeah. the aliens. And that's all A Quiet Place 2 is, is them literally doing that. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot as we went critically through part one of all these questions we now have when you're looking at it beyond its story. And it would have been so much better to have those things reinforced again. You know, like I mentioned the sand, like when did you do this? Where did you get it? How'd you figure it out? Yeah. What's your rationale by your family going barefoot everywhere? What, what did you, what made you decide that? Why did they live in their barn instead of why they abandoned their house? Right. And he's got his, his, his radio and his closed circuit TV station in the basement of the house. And they still obviously do their laundry there and they have electricity, but why did they move to the barn? What was the impetus behind that? Um, this leads to brilliant conversations. If, if the only movie that exists is part one, we can yeah. sit here. Oh, I mean, they have paint on the stairs and all over the floor where it's safe yeah. to step because there's creeks in the floor. And right. so you're like, okay, maybe the house is too creaky and they yep. built a safe haven in the barn because they could make a little more noise. Right. Mm-hmm. You can assume these things and have these conversations, but if you're going to do a second film, why not address it? Where's the electricity come from that's powering all this equipment he has? A generator would be way too loud to have. Is there still electricity a year and something later? Right. right? And and how have the monsters not been drawn to that and, and destroyed that? And we see power lines down. They live in the middle of nowhere. Like, where is this electricity coming from? So just things like that. And it really, it, by having part two delve into what it does or, or continue the story, it, it really does part one a disservice in that way that now it does leave those things open as holes, right? And even then creates more holes, right? So we're out in the world now and other characters are stomping around in military boots and we don't see them get eaten any quicker than anybody else. Right. So what at that point, wouldn't you be like, all right, maybe it's safer for me to wear shoes so I don't step on nails again. Right. Like maybe that's a safe bet. Um, also, you can but, just leave a one day old baby like right. without any milk or anything and like mm-hmm. go off on, you know, a, a one day hike and this baby's not screaming their head off and it's fine. Right. right. You know, and, you know, then we, we, we get that part two gets very the Walking Dead expanded universe ish, yes. right? We're suddenly like, you know, sh- um, uh, uh, 
what the heck i'm now losing oh um reagan uh played by millicent simmons the the oldest daughter Mm -hmm. who is uh deaf she has a cochlear implant right as established in the first one she takes it upon herself to like honor her dad's memory and go find help right she thinks she's decoded this message in a radio frequency she's picked up and she goes off you know kind of on her own and then um emmett cillian murphy goes and, and and follows her um but you're not really worried at any point. They've got guns. They've got their secret monster repellent in the you know the the radio frequencies from the um the from the the cochlear implant. And then we run into you know these marina people who have degraded so much that they're now wild people who live at the docks in the marina and trap and eat and rape people potentially. Like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. where did that come from? Um, you know, all that to find this island where people are just living in bliss, right? And you're like, how does this further the story, right? And where does this bring us? And ultimately, it doesn't really bring us anywhere. Like, we... It takes we, you nowhere that your mind didn't already go yeah. at the end of part one. We further established that, oh yeah, the monsters can be killed this way. We have a mechanism to kill them. and that, And, then, and to that end... The monsters are no longer terrifying because right. you know right. you're a you're a hearing aid and a and a microphone away from sweet sweet victory whereas yeah. in the first one like they were seemingly unstoppable which is why once once you have the mechanism to stop the 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 threat mm-hmm. right what do you explore and, and and the second film doesn't really explore much of anything and i think my major question to you at the minute i finished part two was so there's gonna be a part three right yes what is it gonna be about because yes part two ends with reagan on the island with cillian murphy and evelyn and marcus back in his sewer hut with the baby all that's really left is to join the family back together. But again, that's a car with a mounted loudspeaker and a bunch of guns away from five minutes of a YouTube video. Pick them up, bring them back to the island, and we're good. Right? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I think it is, and that's the point. So the third one, so a third installment has been greenlit. It was initially going to release in March of 2022. I think it just got announced fairly recently that it's been pushed back to 2023 just to give time for production and all that kind of stuff. Now, currently it is suspected John Krasinski will not be writing or directing it. Instead, he's handing this one over um, to, uh, oh, oh, what's his name? Jeff, um, Nickel? Yes, Jeff Nichols. So Mm -hmm. he's handing this one over to Jeff Nichols, who, if you don't know him, he wrote and directed uh, Loving, and he wrote and directed Mud. Mud is a fantastic movie. We're definitely going to do an episode on that one day. Awesome. He handed it off to them. They're, you know, in terms of tone, they're very similar approaches. Mud and and this movie, Um, very character driven, uh, very. uh, you know, light on production and, and that kind of stuff, just really character-driven and uh, sort of indie feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also just coaxing, like, brilliant, brilliant performances. Mud was part of the McConaissance. That's what brought, you know, Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. into the, mm-hmm. like, the big-time conversations. As as uh, Krasinski in A Quiet Place, not so much of a Krasinskasance, <laughs> as much <laughs> as it was just sort of like, hey, man, this guy isn't Jim Halpert. This dude yeah, yeah, yeah. does it all. And and so uh, he handed it off to uh, to Jeff Nichols. He's going to write and direct. And, and the thought is that this is going to exist in the universe, but it will not follow the Abbots and instead be a third installment in the franchise, not a direct part three. Um, okay. And it will follow other characters in the world, uh, sure. other survivors, um, which is fine, right? So it's, it's potentially a spinoff. Um, there has been talk Krasinski has plans for a part three and has things in mind, but didn't want to commit to like really fleshing them out until he knew part two was going to be well received. Uh Um, you know, yeah, which I get my argument would just simply be, 
if you love part one, part two for me was a disappointment and it was not necessarily the film we needed. I want a part two and I wanted yes. a part two, but I would have rather it followed a different narrative and, and not focus essentially on, on putting onto screen what I, what I could have figured out at the end of part one. Yeah. And it doesn't really extend what I loved about the first one and was willing to forgive so many uh, holes was that heart. And this movie just didn't have that. This was a point A to point B. Here's your mission. Go do it. And and you just sort of watch people do it. To, and, and also it loses, you know, a lot of the drama of, you know, no dialogue, no this, the, the intense um, audio mixing, you know, the sound mixing that was so brilliant in the first one is a non-issue in this one. People just yeah. talk. It feels like a normal movie and therefore it's failings as a horror movie and, and, and things like that really stand out because it yeah. just doesn't have the character drama and the, and the, I keep saying it, but it's true. The heart and soul of the first. Yeah. But again, this is exactly our, our John wick, you know, thing when you start throwing in that case, you know, throwing all these extra things and explaining all of this stuff, it got too heavy. In mm-hmm. this case, there's just nothing. Nothing's explained, right? There's there's no further anything. <laughs> so the, okay, yes, there's other people in the world, but you would have been stupid to think that they were the last people on Earth, right? Like right. there was there was no reason we should have ever had to assume that right and we knew that they weren't we see the fires in the first one yeah yeah and it just it it just it it really does does a disservice to part one because now you can't help but go back at part one and pull it apart in terms of the horror movie and the the alien movie aspects which it just doesn't do well um, you know, because you have all of these questions that, like, part two is just exacerbated for me. Why even have the baby in the first place? Why even take the risk of having a baby? That's all Emily Blunt's storyline in the second one is, oh, we got to get more oxygen for the baby so we can keep it in its little suffocation, <laughs> you know, its little mm-hmm. uh, soundproof box. Well, if I was in that situation, I never would have had the baby. Like mm-hmm. somebody who had a baby during a worldwide <laughs> disaster literally sat down with my wife and was like, I don't think we should try to have a baby. You know, let's put that on hold until this COVID thing blows over only to find out a week later that uh, she was already pregnant at that point. Sucker like, Would not have made that decision consciously going into this, what we were going into. Which right? we know Just, is not the case here unless she carried a baby for, 472 days <laughs> right right so just add that to the pile of why questions that i would have wanted answered and this movie just exacerbates that question because that is the main drama point for her character right and for marcus's character he grows up in def- you know he, he com- overcomes his ptsd in defense of this baby which is just a frustrating plot point for me now <laughs> right Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to pick apart. And and I think for me, at the end of the day, it just doesn't come close to living up to the the good things that A Quiet Place 1 does and and what made it such a good movie. Uh, If you haven't seen A Quiet Place, definitely watch that. It is also available to stream on Paramount+. Plus. If you are a big fan of the first one, watch part two with... Uh, reservations yeah um, you know I wouldn't recommend necessarily watching it um, for me it wasn't even necessarily fun just sort of sometimes a sequel is just good to see the characters again to revisit the story to revisit the world I didn't even really get that from it no. so and I'll argue too the characters of the children age so much in between filming that it's going back to part one after seeing part two was a little jarring to me, yeah, yeah, especially a for a movie that picks up seconds after the end. Right. Film. Like, wow, this boy just grew up. He's four years older in a matter of yeah. seconds. Um, <laughs> right. It is noticeable. And again, if part two had been better, that would have been one of those things I'd forgive and just dive yeah. right in. But, yeah. um, but anyways, you know, it's not necessarily worth it for me, but uh, you know, as I said, streaming for free, um, I would just watch the second one 
with reservations. Um, yeah. I give a quiet place like I don't know. For me, a quiet place is like an eight and a half out of ten. I mm. just it's so much fun. I would watch it over and over. Um, a quiet place two was a four. Like it just yeah, it just was a miss. You know. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely see that. And and the argument that I had made at the initial time was like, well, you just got to watch it as one movie. It doesn't hold up on a second watch of of part one. It just yeah. it, it just it's almost on the level I think for me of the Toy Story four thing where it's like if you really 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 like part one, you might be just better served believing that part two doesn't exist. <laughs> Right. Just go straight to part three. Yeah. <laughs> Toy Story 3 is amazing. Um, yeah. All right. So that pretty much wraps up everything that we wanted to talk about tonight. Where do we go from here? What can you expect on our next episode? So our next episode is a deep dive, and we're going to be tackling another trilogy yeah. in one deep dive. We're going to be breaking down uh, Fear Street from yes. available on Netflix based on the R.L. Stein novel series. Um, so check out Fear Street, uh, in three parts, Fear Street 94, Fear uh-huh. Street 78, uh-huh. and Fear Street 1666. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, check out Fear Street on Netflix and then join us back here next week for our wait. conversation. I can't I, wait. I still haven't even seen it, so I'm stoked uh, to get it to jump I'm off. I'm so excited. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, whatever, make sure you send them to us. Always reach out. Anything you guys want to talk about, anything you guys want us to watch and discuss, whatever, hear our thoughts. You can always hear, you can always reach us uh, on Instagram. Just slide into our DMs, y'all, mm-hmm. or comment on a post, whatever it is. You can go to the website, pausereviews.com, where you'll find links to all the places that we are and all the places you, that you can reach us. Uh, as we already talked about, Instagram, that's at pausereviews. And you can hit us up on email, even pausereviews at gmail.com again just shoot us your thoughts shoot us your recommendations your requests all that good stuff other than that we will see you next week for fear street and as always i'm your boy frank this is tim we'll see you guys next week until then yeah see ya peace